Thanks for tuning in to Leesburg Daily, a Monday through Friday podcast where we dive into scripture, study it together, and apply it to our lives. Today we pick up in John chapter 5. We've been, uh, yesterday we looked at this man at at the pool in Bethsaida uh, where he was healed. He had been an invalid for 38 years and Jesus told him to get up, uh, take his mat, and walk. And what we see in that, if you remember, uh, we see Jesus, uh, really the picture that we see is Jesus steps over several people to get to this man. Jesus is very intentional with this man. The question that I come to ask today is why? See, yesterday's uh, miracle set us up for today's encounter. And we pick up in uh, verse 9, immediately following Jesus saying, get up, take your bed and walk. Verse 9 starts, And at once the man was healed, and he took his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, and there is the setup for the conflict that we're about to encounter. The Sabbath. Uh, Look at verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, this is kind of neat to consider for just a moment. That sounds so strange to us, but let's consider. Um, the Old Testament law had, had that Moses had given the, the people of God, or God had given Moses to give to the people, um, uh, said, on the Sabbath, you sh- should not work. Uh, so then, in order to interpret that, or to apply that, the Jewish leaders uh, created laws around the laws to help enforce the laws. And so, uh, uh, so God had never said, and Moses had never said, you can't pick up your mat uh, on a Sunday and walk, or on the Sabbath and walk. Um, but the Jewish leaders had built a perimeter fence of sorts around the laws to make sure uh, that God's people were obedient to the laws. And so, what they're doing is, what he's doing is not breaking God's law, but instead uh, breaking Man's with all. Now, now also consider here, why is he doing this? Well, he's been an invalid for 38 years, and now Jesus walks over to him and says, Do you want to be well? Get up, take your bed, and walk. And, 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 and so he's not sinning against God, but at the same time, he's obeying the command of Jesus. You know, as we're going to see in this man, he clearly doesn't know who Jesus is, not only in name, uh, but also uh, uh, in nature as, as it's fully developed uh, later. This guy does not know who Jesus is by name or the fact that he is the Christ. And that will be apparent as we walk through the story. But he is obeying the command that he was given him at that time, at this, at this point. Um. So the Jews are upset because they see this man carrying his bed on the Sabbath. Now, consider this for a second. He's also been an invalid for for 38 years. People would probably know him. I think this is an amazing thing to consider. Imagine for a minute you've known a man for 38 years, and you see him, you've known him to be... uh, crippled for 38 years and then you see him walking one day i'm certain your response is not uh hey did you have chili today you know your response is going to be hey dude you're you're walking but that's not their response 
See, they look beyond the miracle and they look at the law and they say, hey, look, I know a crippled guy, you've been crippled all your life, um, but who told you to take up your bed and walk? It's not lawful for you to do this. I think that's such a, uh, there's a, almost a deafness uh, uh, in the hearts of these Jewish people. Uh, let's look at verse 11. Uh, well, verse 10, they said, hey, it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he said to them in verse 11, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. The man who healed me said, take up your bed and walk. The implication there is whoever told me to walk surely has the authority to tell me uh, to take up my bed. Uh they asked in verse 12, they asked him, who is the man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the in the place. Uh, so, so this guy doesn't know who Jesus is for two reasons. One, Jesus didn't disclose it to him. And secondly, Jesus, it, it, it's almost a picture of Jesus walked up, said a few words to him and immediately healed him and turned around and just walked away and, and, and withdrawn into the crowd. Uh, clearly, th- there's going to be opposition and is growing opposition to Jesus at this point in John's gospel. Uh, and, and so Jesus is withdrawing, uh, as we will see him do several times uh, to, to be sure to not expedite his arrest. Let's pause once more and just consider the the gravity of what's happening uh, in this narrative. A, a man's been uh, paralyzed for 37 years. Jesus walks over and says, hey, do you want to be well? Take up your mat and walk. It's the Sabbath. The Jewish leaders see this man walking with his mat on the Sabbath, and they respond negatively. Uh you know, since Jesus uh, commanded this man to take up his mat and walk, uh, we're being set up here with a clear conflict between interpretations of God's will. The Jewish opponents uh, believe the man is sinning as he obeys Jesus' command. Um, and, and truthfully, there's not a more striking illustration of the conflict between Jesus and his opponents throughout this gospel. Uh, there, could, there couldn't be a, a more striking example of this conflict imagined. Uh, this story becomes a point of reference later on, as we'll see in chapter 7, a point of reference to Jesus' unorthodox uh, ways of, of living and teaching. Uh, they'll use this as an example later on to try to get Jesus killed. And, and so these Jewish leaders are going to ask this man, uh, who's the man who, who told you to pick up your mat and walk and on one level they're asking for Jesus' name but on another level uh, on another level this question uh, epitomizes the basic problem they have that that nothing that Jesus does makes godly sense to these Jewish leaders because they don't know who he is let me say that again nothing that Jesus does is going to make good godly sense to them because they really don't know who Jesus is and more so who who God is. That's one of the big rebuttals Jesus has against these Pharisees, against these religious leaders throughout his gospel. Is, Guys, you know the law, but you don't know the God of the law. You, you, you know different things about the Old Testament, but you don't know the God of the Old Testament, and that's why you're missing the boat. And that, it's a striking 
challenge for us today as well, as we alluded to yesterday. Um, do we know the God of the Bible? Do we love the God of the Bible? One of the things that John's going to answer throughout this gospel, one of the questions that's going to uh, come up time and time again is this general question of who is this fellow Jesus? One's answer to that makes all the difference between eternal life and death. Well, the Jewish leaders ask this man who's been healed, who healed you? And this man didn't know who Jesus was. Uh, just like in the first story uh, in the series in, in chapter 2, uh, Jesus keeps a very low profile, and the one who receives the blessing doesn't know who Jesus is. Uh, the first time we see this is in 2, uh, verse 1, with the wedding in Cana. The bridegroom doesn't know uh, who made this wine happen. Um, and so the beneficiary is is uh, unaware of who Jesus is. Now, the reason given for this man's uh, uh, not knowing who Jesus is isn't because of his ingratitude or his dullness, but, but d- rather because Jesus slips away into the crowd. You know, this man, in his complete ignorance of Jesus, not even knowing his name, uh, this man's a lot like those who had earlier seen Jesus' signs in Jerusalem, um, and yet had no real or true faith. Uh, this man doesn't see signs, but he himself is the sign, is the one who re- receives the benefit of Jesus' action. And yet, uh, like those others, he fails to receive uh, what that sign points to, which is releva- the revelation of God in Jesus. But Jesus doesn't leave him in his ignorance. Uh, look at the final scene in verse 14. In verse 14, uh, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing else may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered him, My father is always working. My father is working until now, and I am working. This last scene is is quite remarkable. Uh, The man had earlier obeyed Jesus' command, um, and now he's going to disobey. Look in verse 14, Jesus finds him, and again, Jesus takes the initiative and goes over to the man. It's almost as if this is a two-stage miracle uh, with an interval separating uh, the healing and the manifestation of Jesus' identity to the, to the man. In any event, he now speaks to him in his usual abrupt manner, and he says, See, you are well. Stop sinning, or something else may happen to you. The man had earlier obeyed Jesus' command, but it had gotten him into trouble with the Jews. Uh, and and now, now he's going to disobey, at least from John's point of view, Jesus' order to stop sinning uh, because he immediately goes and betrays Jesus to the Jewish opponents. Think, think about the second command of Jesus to stop sinning or something else might happen to you. Think of that uh, kind of like Jesus' order for the Samaritan woman to go and call her husband. The command and the woman's re- response were part of Jesus' imparting of eternal life. The woman passed the test, uh, but not so with this man. He is caught between Jesus and the Jewish opponents, and he chooses poorly. Uh, he, he now knows Jesus' name, but he continues to be ignorant of Jesus' identity. And so Jesus' command 
focuses on this man as a sinner in striking contrast uh, to the later healing we're going to read about of the man born blind, where he says that uh, this man's not born because of his blindness. In this situation, at least on a level, it seems like there could be a correlation between uh, physical sickness and sinfulness. Um, so there's not a hard, fast rule here, but it's something to consider. We we shouldn't, on a practical level, we should not discredit uh, the possibility that our sinfulness is leading to our sickness or our uh, our issues. Uh, at the same time, uh, it's not a hard, fast rule that our sinfulness is a direct uh, correlation to our um, our, our health. And so uh, we should take those things under advisement, though. We should ask those questions. Uh, could my lifestyle, could my sinning be impacting my health? Uh, that's definitely a possibility as we see in Jesus' word. Anyway, asking this man to sin no more seems like an impossible request, doesn't it? An, an intolerable burden, but it's actually part of the good news. Uh, in the first place, it implies that he has been forgiven, and that's a big deal. Um, He's been forgiven, and so uh, he, so he can walk in a newness of life. Here we see the Lamb of God at work, taking away sins of the world, forgiving those uh, who will go on to betray him, even. And furthermore, as a theme in John and in, in First John, uh, as as well, uh, Christians have been freed from the power of sin. Jesus is challenging this man to a new life, a life from above. Uh, think back to John chapter 3, uh, verse 3 and verse 5, where we need to be born from above. The barest glimmer of faith in this man's part brought healing into Jesus' life, but now he is to move far beyond his weakness, both physically and spiritually. Uh, there's one commentator I've, I've read this week who, who, who says this. He says, uh, God is easy to please but hard to satisfy. Uh, the, the healing came easy and quick. The, the, the overflow of grace was very quick, uh, and yet there's moral and literal responsibility on the shoulders of this man. You know, this sets the scene for a lot of conflict moving forward with Jesus and his ministry. Um, and we see that in the last couple of verses here. Uh, the Jews are upset with this man, uh, Jesus, for healing on the Sabbath, for working on the, on the Sabbath. But Jesus simply says, my father is working until now, and, and so am I, uh, which is uh, highlights his ultimate obedience, as we will see throughout the gospel. Jesus lives uh, in a perfect obedience to the Father's will. Um, I, I guess today I want I want to look at this new this man as we close up here. Uh, we I want to look at this man. He's been given the opportunity for a new life, and he's challenged to live according to that new life, but he chooses poorly. You know how often are, are we in our new lives as we follow Christ? Uh, we're set free from the power of sin. We're set free. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans that we've died to sin how can we live in it any longer uh, and yet often we choose to continue to live in sin and the question there is well why why just last night I was having a conversation with a young man uh, who's who's loves the Lord and pursuing the Lord with his life uh, and and as we talked uh, the the question came up about uh, about how we, we live on a daily basis. And it's a challenge for each of us to consider, are we living in a newness of life? 
You know, in many of our churches, there is a there, there's a grace that's preached, a very cheap grace, a very easy grace. And look, we see here even with this man who's going to betray Jesus um, and turn him over to the Jewish officials, uh, we we see God offers an abundance of grace. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Absolutely, God is gracious. But there's also a, a weight that comes with 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 the gospel, a, a weight that says I I must die to myself and live a new life. And the question that was asked to this man and asked to us today is, uh, are we going to live in that new life? So I want to encourage you today to live in the new life. If you're battling with sin, understand that who you are in Christ, that sin has been defeated. You've been released from the power of sin. That means you've been released from the power to not sin. Sin no longer rules over you, and so live in that new state of being, free from the power of sin. Or as Jesus would say, stop sinning, that nothing worse may happen to you. Thanks for so much for tuning in today. Continue to tune in each Monday through Friday as we walk through Scripture. Uh, tomorrow, uh, or Monday, we will pick up in verse 18 of chapter 5. God bless, take care, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you this weekend at church. We've got three services, uh, 945, 11:15, and 5.30 p.m. God bless, take care, we'll see you.